Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Welcome to the Animal Files. We're going to talk about animals. What do they think? Do they think what we think they think? Hmm. We're going to talk about some of the science that has come out, our own personal experiences, and hopefully you will get a good idea of whether animals think or not. Do they think? That's the first question. Second question is, well, if they think, does that mean their brain is like ours? Is it different? I don't know. So Miranda, give me some ideas of what you have found in your research that can help answer these questions. Well, I think one of the things that I found interesting when I was doing my research was the idea of what consciousness was. Mm. I think that there has been largely a belief that animals aren't really conscious, that only humans have consciousness. And there seems to be differing definitions about what consciousness actually is. Some people will say that consciousness means that you're self-aware, you know who you are, and you can recognize yourself separate from other things, and that only humans are capable of that. It's also been thought that only humans are capable of having thoughts. There's differing reasons for that as well. One of the things that is considered or thought about in terms of whether animals think or not is that as humans, we can communicate to each other what it is we're thinking. And animals are not, or other animals are not able to communicate that to us. And so I think it's largely been thought that only if you have human language are you able to have thought. Oh, that's I think, silly. <laughs> I think that's a complete misnomer. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so silly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, the thought's going through my head right now. I mean, are we really that stupid? Oh, we're not that elite. We are just animals. We've just evolved a little bit differently. That's it. <laughs> if you ever watch animals, they communicate back and forth. You can see them having conversations with each other. Just because mm -hmm. we can't understand it doesn't mean it's not real. I don't know. Some of these doctors make my roll my eyes <laughs> <laughs> even the idea of the fact that we can communicate what we think just because we can't go into the animals brains and have them communicate to us what they think it's like when i'm talking to you it's like okay you can tell me what you're thinking but i have no idea if you're having a thought or not unless you tell me. Mm -hmm. I can make a guess. I can make an assumption based on maybe how you behave or your facial expression or something like that, but I can't know for sure. It's the same thing with other animals. It's like we can't just assume that they don't think just because we can't have that direct communication with them. Yeah. None of us knows what's going on in each other's brains. As you said, the whole assumption 
that's all we got based on clues. Mm -hmm. How am I to know that you're thinking 20 thoughts right now? I don't. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like that example because it just shows you how silly, you know, I don't even know what to call it research, these uh, theories that some of these scientists have come up with. Oh, no, only humans have a consciousness. Only humans can think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give me proof of that. You can't give me proof because there is no proof. <laughs> and there's this other idea that animals are only driven by reflexes or react to stimuli. Well, I think there's lots of examples in our animal world to show otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we react to stimuli too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we work on instinct too. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's what I find kind of interesting because we often talk about how animal behaviors are instinctual or just natural behaviors for them. But what really is the difference between instinct and the ability to plan things, create things, analyze things, and just kind of figure things out and understand stuff? Yeah, I have seen my cats. They literally create puzzles for themselves. So oh, they really? will... It's, it's so funny, but Frankie loves to play with green beans, which is strange, but even if he's playing with one of his little farm mice, he has to play in front of the door because it is fun for him to figure out how to get it back from underneath the door. So he will play with it around the door. It goes under the door. You can see him problem solving. Okay. How do I get this now? And then eventually he figures out, oh, let me go behind the door and push it back to the other side. It's this game he plays with himself. Mm -hmm. It's literal planning and analyzation in action. Mm -hmm. It's the coolest thing. I have to say, it's the coolest thing. Because I've never had cats that actively did that when they played. But that's his favorite thing in the world, is mm -hmm. to figure out puzzles. He'll intentionally put things under things so he can get it out. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> He'll even carry his bean or his mouth close to the door or close to something and then play with it on purpose. It's very strange. So yeah, planning, analyzation, figuring things out, puzzle figuring out. I've seen it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I remember watching a video of some kind of, I think it was some type of a fish or was at least some kind of uh, small creature in the, the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it liked to get food from something that was in a shell, a very, 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 very hard shell. Okay. And it didn't have the ability to get it out on its own using its own body because material of the shell was extremely strong. It discovered that if it kept tossing the shell against a hard rock that eventually it would break open and it could get to the food. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. Animals are so smart. You know, we're talking about, do they think, well, I'm going to tell you right here. They do. And they think all of the time. <laughs> and when you see the accomplishments of their learning experiences, discovery experiences, and you see how some of these species and animals have learned to adapt to a certain way to get food or to 
make a home or whatever. It's incredibly intricate. Mm -hmm. And that goes well beyond instinct, I feel. Mm -hmm. Especially those nest weaving birds. The structures that they create is incredible. And they're super strong. Their nests are highly protected because they are master architects. Yeah, that's not just instinct. That's just not reacting to stimuli. That's figuring something out Mm -hmm. over the course of their evolution. If we do it this way, we can protect our young. Mm -hmm. Uh, They think. (laughs) Yeah, well, I was thinking along the same line when it comes to birds, because those that fly south, every year they're coming back and they have to build a new nest. And they have to find a location to build the nest and find the material to create the nest. Mm I am sure that there is analysis that comes into that. I mean, of course, if they make a bad decision and put the nest in the wrong place, they may not end up having the opportunity to make a different decision the next year, but they may still end up with the opportunity and realize, oh, this wasn't a great place because maybe it was too close to the water or maybe it was not secure enough in the tree or whatever the scenario might be. And they would probably learn to put the nest in a different place next time, as well as Mm -hmm. finding the material that's going to keep the nest together. There's probably some trial and error that they have to, okay, we'll try this material, we'll try that material. And yeah, there's probably like their first nest wasn't as successful as the second right. one. And then the second one wasn't as successful as the third mm-hmm. one. They keep coming back to the same places over and over and over again. And they will learn every time they build. Mm-hmm. They're not going to make the same mistake twice. Right. Yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> and then you know what? They're also self-aware. Maybe not at the extent as we humans. I had a deaf cat. One of the things that she did is she used mirrors. You see those videos of cats that see a mirror for the first time. They think it's another cat. That is a thing. I I get that. But Mm -hmm. because my Gabby was deaf, she had learned that this piece of thing in front of her will allow her to see behind her. And so she was actually very aware. She watched everything through reflections of the windows. She watched through the, the mirrors. It's actually how she preferred to be because she can see around her because she couldn't mm-hmm. hear anything. That to me is self-aware. Oh, yeah. Totally self-aware. Now, is every cat going to have that? No, but because she had a disability, she learned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I think it probably largely depends maybe on partially on the type of animal it is, as well as maybe the species Mm -hmm. or breed. And maybe not even just that. It's just every animal is individual, just like every human is individual. I know that there have been tests that have been done with mirrors where they have placed a mark somewhere on the body that they would not be able to see with their eyes directly that they would have to see it in a mirror or a reflection. They basically said that if the animal goes towards that mark and, you know, maybe tries to groom it or get it off or something like that, that that was showing that they're self-aware because they're realizing that this mark is on them. That's cool. And not on another animal. That's really cool. <laughs> I like that. Oh, I'd like to see those. That's pretty cool science there. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lo- been a lot of research done both at the University of Houston 
and I guess a group of scientists, <laughs> they actually got together and signed something called the Cambridge Declaration of Unconsciousness. So let's talk about those two things. Let's start with the University of Houston. Well, there was an assistant professor that did a little bit of research. And in his experience, he found that there was evidence that suggests a variety of animal species are able to make rational decisions or think. And despite the lack of a human-like language, because as we already talked about, the language doesn't have any bearing on whether there's thoughts involved. That's just only a, an ability to be able to translate and communicate to somebody mm -hmm. else. And that other animals are also able to consider and plan for their goals. So they can know something, know that they want to have something ahead of time and do take actions to prepare for that. They're not just only in the present all the time. Mm -hmm. But the benefit for them, though, is I think, now this is kind of going off on a different train of thought. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's our, that, that's our, our usual here. <laughs> but I think that other animals, they don't get stuck in the past or the future. You know, they're not worrying about what happened in the past. They learn from it, but they don't worry about it. And they don't worry about the future. They just prepare for it. You know, they're largely in the present, I think, but they don't get stuck in those other areas only as needed to prepare. I think that is one of the major signs of a higher intelligence. I know in my life when I've gotten stuck on things in my past or I've been worrying about my future, I'm pretty much stagnated. I pretty mm -hmm. much stop myself in my tracks. And I think yeah. that goes with every human who does that. I mean, if you get stuck in the future or the past and worry about the future, then you have no movement. Mm -hmm. Animals being mostly in the present and learning from the past and preparing for the future, that gives them a higher, uh, not a higher, the upper hand as far mm -hmm. as whether they're going to be stay stuck or keep moving. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I just think it's higher, higher in, intelligence for those of us who have learned the skill, because it is a skill to stay in the mm -hmm. present, we end up being better off. And I think that's what animals have done. I think they're better off. Right. It's definitely a much more peaceful place to be when you can. Oh, for sure. Be in the now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and it doesn't matter because even some humans, like there are some humans on this planet that can't speak and they have their own language. Right. If someone has a physical disability, like they're deaf or they're something wrong with their throat, they still communicate. Yeah. Think about somebody like Helen Keller. You know, we learn. Does it mean that that person who is mute doesn't think? Yeah. Well, I think even the human animal, <laughs> that if they were to have been raised away from humans, you know, and they've had no contact with humans and they don't learn the human language, they still, I believe, would find a way, like they, they would still have thought. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have the communication that you and I have, but they would still have thought. They'd still be able to figure things out and learn things and understand things. But again, I think that's a benefit because in our society, we tend to label everything and 
judge everything and compare things. And when we're not raised in that kind of environment, I think it's a lot simpler. Oh, yeah, completely. We don't have to be like these A-type thought processes just to exist. I mean, you can be very simple. We all have thought. Don't listen to the naysayers. We all have thought. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go into this group of neuroscientists because this is kind of cool. I like this idea Mm -hmm. because this is neurological science. Right. Yeah. So back in 2012, there was a group of neuroscientists that got together and what they determined was that humans are not unique in possessing the neurological substrates, which means part of the central nervous system that underlies a specific behavior, brain process, or psychological state. So they're not unique in possessing this neurological substrate that generates consciousness. Non-human animals, including all mammals and birds, and many other creatures, including octopuses, also possess these neural substrates. So cool. (laughs) So they have signed... (laughs) They have signed a document called the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness. Like we said, there's a lot of different examples out there that show that these other animals do have consciousness and are capable of thinking. But I think a lot of humans will write it off as something else. Well, yeah, because we think we're all that. We're not. We're just part of the ecosystem. We are animals Mm. as well. We're just different. You know, a spider and a cat are going to talk differently doesn't mean that they don't think for themselves. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind. It just does. Anyway, some of these octopuses, have you seen those videos? Oh my gosh. Those videos of these octopuses getting out of these tiny little puzzle things. Fascinating. And then of course, changing their colors to look like different things and finding hiding places and carrying coconut shells that they can hide in. There's so many incredible things. It's all problem solving. Mm -hmm. There was actually a story that I had heard about not that long ago of an octopus who had escaped from, I think it was an aquarium of some sort. And it, I can't remember the exact details of it, but it somehow got out of its tank and it found a pipe that led to the ocean. Oh my gosh. And it went, got through this pipe and it actually got into the ocean. It's so cool. Go octopi. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cool. I swear they're, they're, they're not even from this planet. I think they're just too smart. You want to talk about higher intelligence and higher consciousness. Just look at videos of octopus. They're incredible. Or octopi, octopus, mm. octopuses. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're both correct. I, I actually looked that up before <laughs> for this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, just go watch videos on octopuses. <laughs> and you will see a higher consciousness in action. It's so cool. There's also um, a study done by a doctor regarding dogs. Let's talk about her. Yeah, Dr. Jill Sackman, she's um, a senior medical director in Michigan of the Blue Pearl Veterinary Partners. And she states that dogs have the thinking of a thinking ability of a three to five year old human, which I think is pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. And I completely agree with it. Also, I believe with cats, it's the same. Mm -hmm. They seem to behave like a five year old. 
the way they figure yeah. things out, the way they play, you know, it's, it's very childlike, the human childlike. Yeah. And there's, there's so much that three to five-year-olds can understand in the human world. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember babysitting this three-year-old and uh, he had learned how to sneak out of the backyard, even though I couldn't see any way of him getting out because the, the gate lock was way up high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he snuck out of the yard and walked all the way to the corner store. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Smart little kid. <laughs> <laughs> but he knew his address. And luckily enough, a stranger brought him back. Wow. Props for good humans. So <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a three-year-old being able to know where he lives and know how to get to somewhere. Yeah. I have to say that has know. a lot to do with parenting too. The fact that his parents probably started him off early with teaching things like that. Yeah. But it just shows that they're capable of, of understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if a dog is and a cat are like a three to five-year-old human, just think of the things that they can figure out on their own. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a measurement for IQ in dogs and cats and other animals, but humans have a variety of IQ points. You can have a lower IQ. You can have a higher IQ. You can be in the middle. You can, you know, there's so many different intelligence levels out there. And I would think that it mm -hmm. would be the same for animals. Yeah. So one three-year-old may be able to learn his address and figure out ways to get out of the backyard and get back home. But then another three-year-old probably can't even say a couple words. Right. Depending on their environment, depending on their makeup. Mm -hmm. or it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> if they are these three to five-year-old quote-unquote people, do you think they understand emotions? I think they do. To a certain extent, I think they understand our emotions mm -hmm. because they respond to them, but I don't know how much they understand of their own emotions. That's a good point. Cause I do know that most animals learn from us. Like when they live with us, they learn from us. So they learn things like depression. They learn things like anxiety. They learn these things. If they have never been introduced to any of this stuff, I don't think you're going to find a wild animal with high anxiety. Probably not. I did read something that they're more able to understand simpler emotions, but not the more complex okay. ones. That would make sense because they don't have any stimulus to learn off of. Yeah, but I'm still not sure how much they actually understand it or if they just feel it. Like, you know, you take elephants and magpies, they mourn when they lose a member, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll actually have a mourning ritual. So they feel loss. Mm -hmm. They seem to want to honor it by doing something, but to what extent they actually understand it, I, I can't really say. Yeah. Well, we, we're not elephants and magpies. So, right. Just like what we've been saying, they're different. They think yeah. differently, <laughs> but no, I, I get that. Yeah. But I know we've kind of talked before in a past show that whether animals feel guilt or something mm. along those lines. There's a lot of people who say, oh, well, you know, my dog or my cat knew that they did something wrong because they look guilty. They know they've done something wrong. But do they really? Or is it because they're reacting to how we've behaved in the past and maybe they're 
perhaps fearful that we're going to react negatively to them, you know, whether it's hit them or punish them in some way, you know, it might be just responding to our behavior. Yeah. I think it might be mostly fear Mm -hmm. because they react to us. If they are at a certain level of intelligence, I think that they probably, if they've done the same thing over and over again, and even if they weren't punished or yelled at over and over again, I think they would learn the ability to know or to realize that, uh uh-oh, I did it again. I don't know Mm. if it's guilt, but I think it's a a possible, it's a learned behavior, obviously. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a, a dog that keeps getting into the garbage can. He knows if he's, unless he's a puppy, if he's, say, an adult dog, he knows that when he goes into the garbage, it's not a good thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think if he's been reacted to by the human violently, energetically or physically or whatever, Mm -hmm. then yeah, I think it would be 100% fear of the human. Cats are a little bit different than dogs, but at least with my cats, I don't have to yell at them. If they've done something again and again and again and again, and I just say their name and give them a look. They just look at me and they're like, oh, and they get down. I don't create fear in my cats. Right. I'm very compassionate and I talk to them like, no, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And they just kind of give me a look and then they back away. So I think there's an element of this learning process with them. Mm-hmm. I would probably say most cases are fear-based, but I believe that they would learn that something is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would actually feel the emotion guilt. Right. They may not fully understand why they're not supposed to do it. Exactly. But I think they know, oh, I did it again. Right. I don't know. <laughs> this is my thought. <laughs> it's what I think. It's what I've seen. You know, I don't have to yell at my animals. I just say it. They look at me and then they actually make the, the realization like, I got to stop this right now. Cause I'm doing it. I'm not I'm doing it again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, so that's what I think. They understand emotions, especially if they live with humans. I think they understand certain emotions, but I don't think they feel them in the same way we do. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper. We have discovered many things about the animal world. We discovered that they have been able to remember different events. We have learned that they can use tools. They can solve problems. And they can help their own and other species without training. You don't need to have a trained animal for an animal to have cognitive skills. We're going to run down a couple examples. And one of the animals that we have seen that is very adept at using tools is crows. Let's talk about some of the ways that they use tools. One of the ways that they have been discovered using tools is that they'll dig out grubs in trees with twigs. And they've learned that if they strip the bark of the twig, and then they can bend the ends and turn it into hook so that they can pull these grubs out from the trees. That's so cool. (laughs) That is so cool. There's a video I saw. It's fascinating. There is a pile of rocks and a glass with a piece of food in it. 
and water. Mm -hmm. And this crow had learned that if it can drop stones into the water, it can raise the food to the top. So (laughs) it will continually put stones in the water to bring the water level up. It's the coolest thing. And I think he used like, you know, five or six stones to get the water to disperse enough to bring the food to the top that he can get it. So fascinating. So fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) There's also lots of other animals that have learned, like obviously apes and monkeys, they use tools as well. Yes. It's pretty neat. Yeah. You were going to say something about tools? Well, not the tools, but the crows, because crows also actually have an amazing memory. Because there's stories, I can't remember all the details of it, but I remember hearing some story of a woman having done something that had upset the crows. And these crows, anytime they saw her, they came after her. It didn't matter how much time had passed. They, they remembered her and what had happened. <laughs> that was probably scary for her, but... Just goes to show you, I don't mess with the crows. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're extremely protective of their young as well. But they can also be, I think, great messengers as well. They can warn people of something that's going to happen. And yeah, just other scenarios. I have seen and read that crows will basically harass hawks Hmm. to protect animals on the ground. Hmm. So if there's a dog in the backyard, say a small dog in the backyard, a crow will first alert and warn. And if the the hawk still keeps coming around, they literally will harass the hawk. Hmm. And so the hawk will eventually realize it's not worth it. Right. And go find an easier meal. Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating. I've seen crows harassing birds of prey. So right. (laughs) There's got to be truth to it. I mean, I've seen it happen. (laughs) I've heard another story that kind of goes the other way, though, that sometimes the crows will harass, I think it was a bald eagle, and they'll be like on the back of the bald eagle and be, I don't know, pecking at them or something. (laughs) And the bald eagles can fly up to really high heights because they can tolerate Mm -hmm. the lower oxygen level. The crows can't. And the eagles learn this, then they they'll just keep going up higher and higher until the crows fall off because they can't breathe anymore. It's kind of like, hey, survival of the fittest. Don't mess with the bald eagle. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really cool. I love that. You know, these behaviors don't just stop at the animal world. They go into other species. Right. Bees, for example. They are really cool insects. We all know they build these incredible hives. Yeah, well, we know they have these hives, these honeycombs that we get honey from and that. But, you know, other than beekeepers, probably a lot of people just don't know the extent of these structures. Apparently, they're very efficient builders and architects. They can create these honeycombs, which use the least amount of wax possible. And they use this hexagonal design, which we've seen, but this design creates this amazing strength in the structure. So it's not going to break down very easily. And the fact that they have discovered this is just incredible. You know, there's, (laughs) in my opinion, there's a lot of architecture that we have nowadays that I was, that I'm just kind of like, what were you thinking? (laughs) I know. But I think we take a lot of, at least these innovative architects actually take 
things from nature to try to recreate for us. Mm -hmm. But we don't necessarily build things that have a lot of strength. You know, like, I don't know if there is a way to do it, but in places where there's frequent earthquakes or something like that, I don't know if they have figured out how to create buildings that are going to be able to endure that kind of vibration. That may be an extreme example, but. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I do know that they have created designs, especially in California and in, in uh, Japan, mm-hmm. that actually do, can withstand up to, I don't know, five, six, seven magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, they're retrofitting a lot of buildings with some of the features. Right. We humans are obsessed with square boxes. So square boxes are not very strong. So they've been trying to find ways to make the boxes that were built years ago stronger and then mm-hmm. find ways to make new buildings already earthquake proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even with our roads, I know here with our weather, we tend to be prone to getting a lot of potholes. Mm-hmm. And every year there's construction construction going on, locking off the roads to fix these potholes. Have we not been able to get to the point of going through this year after year after year after year that we can't find something to do differently so that this doesn't have to keep happening every year? We need to take (laughs) tips from the animal world. (laughs) Maybe I'm being too judgmental, but... (laughs) I don't know. I think across the world, roads are so archaic. It's just, I don't know. It's, you got to (laughs) learn. Just goes to show you who's got the higher intelligence sometimes. (laughs) But I do know, and this is, this is completely off topic, but I do know there's a lot of money in building things that don't last. Mm, Yes. So there's an incentive to not find something. Think of all the construction workers that would be out of a job and all of the asphalt companies that would be out of a job. There's a lot of money on the line. Mm. Keep building something that can break down, then everybody gets paid still. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Insert Victoria's little soapbox here. But But, I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. (laughs) but you know but there's a lot of things now how many people think that in urban areas that pigeons are stupid oh i would say a great (laughs) deal (laughs) i know but yet they've been used for years and years and years as messenger carriers they come back they know where they live they're very smart so let's talk about pigeons because every place on the planet has some species of pigeon that people consider are a nuisance and they don't understand them and they think they're stupid and dirty and I've heard them called in New York City flying rats well let's just knock that down a little bit by talking some truth about pigeons right I personally love pigeons I think they're they're amazing not that I've had a lot of experience with seeing different things that they do, but I've never thought of them as being stupid or dirty or anything like that. I think they're beautiful. (laughs) I think they're beautiful too. (laughs) Researchers have found, they, they did some research on the brains of pigeons and they found that their areas for long-term memory and problem solving 
are wired just like a human's. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) And I don't know how many of you have heard of the Monty Hall puzzle. I hadn't heard of it before, but a lot of you probably have heard of the Let's Make a Deal game show. Mm -hmm. And this Monty Hall puzzle is apparently a brain teaser that's loosely based on that game show. So I don't know exactly how it works, but just the fact that it's a brain teaser insinuates that it requires a fair amount of thinking to figure it out. And they have given this puzzle to both humans and the pigeons. And the pigeons have had a higher success rate at solving it than the humans. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes, go pigeons. (laughs) That's so cool. I love it. Just goes to show you. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Now we talked a little bit about the crows protecting other animals from the hawks. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to talk about other species that do this because mm-hmm. some of it is fascinating to me mm-hmm. it's just it's amazing me it, it, it's oh, amazing yeah. me it amazes me <laughs> <laughs> how intelligent and how compassionate and kind some of these animals are well it just goes to show that they have empathy you know they're not just self-centered they're not all about just survival they actually have empathy for others i love that And we've seen that with whales. Mm -hmm. Whales do that all of the time. Mm -hmm. Who's going to mess with a whale besides a giant squid? But who's going (laughs) to mess with a squid? (laughs) I mean, they're gigantic creatures. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about humpback whales here. I'm trying to remember if the humpback is the largest whale or if there's one that's larger than that, but it's pretty large anyway. The blue whale is the largest. Mm -hmm. And I think humpbacks are just the next one down. Right. But researchers have witnessed these humpback whales helping to rescue other sea mammals on a regular basis, not just a one-time thing. They've seen them protecting a gray whale. What they're protecting them from is the the killer whales or the orcas. Mm. They've protected a gray whale. They've protected seals. They've protected sea lions. They've protected porpoises and other marine animals. So this is not a one-off thing. Some people might argue maybe they're doing it to distract the orcas, to keep the orcas from going after them themselves. But if they're doing this on a consistent basis, to me, that tells me they know what they're doing and that they actually have empathy for these other creatures. Yeah. Whales are amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazing. And there's other examples of other animals who have helped other animals as well. I mean, I didn't delve into it in in great detail, but I remember watching a video of, can't remember which way it was. It was either a a cat helping a dog or a dog helping a cat, but basically one of them was kind of down in sort of this reservoir that had some water in it and it had like this steep incline that it couldn't climb up. And the other animal ended up finding a way to reach the other one and be able to pull them out of this reservoir. That's cool. We've got a lot of dogs that help because they've been trained to, but there was no human there that was directing it. It was doing this on its own. Yeah, that's really cool. I also saw it's two different insects. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was a bumblebee that had died 
And there were an ant species that literally carried flower petals and encircled the bumblebee. So it's that whole thing that you mentioned about the elephants where they actually have these morning Mm -hmm. rituals. That's what this was between an ant and a bumblebee. It was so cool to watch it. You could see the ants carrying these flower petals and you can see them placing them and and sorting them. It wasn't like manufactured actual ants that were sorting these flower petals. Hmm. And unless you can mass train a, a colony of ants, which I doubt very seriously, it shows that even as tiny as an ant, there is that empathy for other mm-hmm. species. It was quite a beautiful video, actually. It was really was really and speaking of insects it's like i think a lot of people think that insects have no intelligence whatsoever and i think that's also a mistake to believe (laughs) that's way wrong (laughs) i actually talk with animals all the time we're insects all the time and they actually respond not in the obvious way that you would think but it's very subtle i've directed a fly out of my house i have talked to spiders and said, okay, stay in your space. Don't come in mine. Mm -hmm. And they'll stay in their space Mm -hmm. for weeks. So yeah, they have intelligence. I'm 100% -hmm. sure of it. And I think the other incredible thing too, is that there's been lots of examples of other species raising the young of a different species. I've seen that too. That's cool. That is really cool. (laughs) I know the most recent one that I've seen is a chicken that was sitting on young kittens. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute oh my god I think my heart melted there for a moment <laughs> and there's there was a couple of different videos I've seen of it so it's not just again that was just not a one-time thing in those cases maybe it was encouraged by a human perhaps but well I would think that an animal especially a chicken mm-hmm. it lays the eggs all the time and they will sit on eggs whether they're fertilized or not so I would think if that animal had that maternal drive and their eggs keep getting taken away, then they already have that mothering ability in them. Mm -hmm. And there are some ducks, geese, chickens that they will sit on an egg forever and ever because they just want that egg to hatch. Mm -hmm. And if their eggs keep getting taken away, they may transfer that energy onto something else. Mm -hmm. And that natural empathy that they have will just come out. So I don't think that humans need to encourage that. Mm -hmm. If an animal has a drive, that instinct is so strong in them, they need to mother something. Now I say mother loosely because they don't automatically think, oh, I'm the mommy, I'm the daddy. But that whole nurturing energy, Mm -hmm. they would do that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. There's also an example. Well, this is something recently that starting to be implemented into vet clinics is having a dog in there. I don't know if they're doing it with cats, but having a a dog that is offering support to the animals who are ill or recovering from surgery. So instead of having a human doing it, they have an animal potentially of a different species Mm -hmm. that is offering this support. And I think they, they are able to feel that these other animals are suffering in some way and they're able to provide us the support in a way that a human can't because they have more understanding they have more of an ability to communicate with them and 
just let them know that, that they're there. Yeah, I've seen that. And I think they do it with both dogs and cats. I remember watching YouTube. Gosh, you got to love all the videos on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was either a dog nursing cats or a cat nursing dogs. Mm. My brain is saying cat nursing dogs. And I think it was because the cat didn't have a viable litter, but still had milk and just adopted the puppies. Mm -hmm. That nurturing instinct mm -hmm. was just super strong because she had just had a non-viable litter. Right. Yeah. They're just cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we don't give them enough credit. Mm -hmm. Something that has, well... I don't know if it's new, but it's definitely a lot more commercial now, <laughs> is these puzzles that are, have been created for dogs and cats. Largely, it's been food puzzles okay. where the dog or cat has to figure out what to do with this thing in order to be able to get at the food. And sometimes it's, they have to slide something. Sometimes they have to roll it. Sometimes they have to do something else with it. And this is another great demonstration of how they're able to analyze and try to figure things out in order to be able to get to what it is that they want. Problem solvers. Yeah. They are absolute problem solvers. We're getting close to the end of the show. And we want to just touch on the responses that an animal will present. Is that the word? Mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> How animals respond to certain things. So let's just briefly go mm -hmm. over that and then we'll call it for the day. Well, we know that animals can respond to a loss of a companion if they lose their young, particularly if it ends up being all of their young, if they lose one of their parents. Well, okay, a parent that's like an animal or a human. So they could lose their, their caregiver, essentially. In the domestic world... It seems that when an animal loses another member of the family, whether human or another pet, that they do seem to grieve. Mm -hmm. And they have a variety of ways that they do it, just like humans do. Maybe they don't cry exactly, but they can have a loss of appetite. They can lose interest in daily activities and just want to simply lie there and not do anything. And potentially they can get quite sick because they're struggling with this loss. I've also heard of this one cat. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they actually gave details on what actually happened, but she lost her entire litter. Mm. She became extremely depressed, but her depression came out in aggression. She would try to attack anybody who tried to come into the room but she was not aggressive prior to that incident happening. Oh, wow. Just goes to show you, we handle loss differently. Some people get angry. Some people get sad. Some people shut down. Some people can actually be functional. Mm -hmm. It all depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. There was another story I read about, I think it was a chimpanzee. And this was a wild chimpanzee. The chimpanzee had witnessed her mother being killed. Oh. How devastating. Yeah. And she was very traumatized and was brought to one of these orphan places for chimps. And she could not deal with her trauma. She refused to eat. It didn't matter what they did. They could not help her. They tried everything they could. And eventually she ended up dying because she was so traumatized from it. That's so sad. 
I think if it was just simply instinct, they would deal with it and then respond to the care that they're being given because then instinct would just say, okay, well, we'll just respond to whoever is next giving us care. Yeah, no, it's not instinct. And I know chimps are very closely related to us and they are similar in their responses, but it's not just chimps that go through this. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many animals that lose their parent or caregiver and they're traumatized. I'm sure that happens extremely often with the elephants. Oh my goodness, yes. It just goes to show you that that we have to stop thinking about animals as these non-thinking, instinctual, only about survival type beings. They are so much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. They respond to energies. They respond to, you know, whether you're a good person or not a good person, whether they like you, whether they don't. We can't just put them all in a box. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this in several other episodes. They pick up what we send out. So if you're anxious, your animal's going to be anxious. If you're sad, your animal's going to be sad. Mm -hmm. If you're depressed, your animal tends to be depressed. If you're happy, the animal's happy. They just respond. So it's almost like this dance that we play with our animals. If you're stressed out, they're probably going to be stressed out. (laughs) Yeah. And we know what stress does to animals. So (laughs) (laughs) just keep that in mind. But yeah, so I guess basically what the whole point of this show is today is animals are people too. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my sayings I say all the time, hashtag animals are people too. And people are animals too. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. So the next time you look at your animal, don't look at them as if they don't know what's going on. Look at them as you would look at another human, because that's what they're going to respond to. They're these sentient, beautiful creatures that are here to be partners with us and help this whole planet revolve the way it's supposed to. They have a role to play and they have a part to play. And we have to see them that way. Mm -hmm. We can't see them as just walking fur skin suits. You know, that have no drive or anything like that. There's so much more than that. That's my final thought. What's your final thought? Well, I'd just like to add that if you enjoyed this topic or if you have enjoyed any of the previous topics that we've talked about and you would like to suggest more or share any of your stories or experiences, come join our Animal Files community Facebook group and chat with us. Let us know what you're thinking and what you're interested in and what you'd like to hear more of. And examples of how your animals are people do. Yes. <laughs> I would love to hear stories about that. Yeah, so that's our that's our show for today. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you were able to, I don't know, see your animals in a different light. That's our job here. So next time you look at your cat, your dog, the bird, and the chipmunk down the road, look at it differently. And I think you'll see something different. So that's it for us today. Hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.